Come on. Yes. Amen. There is no power like Jesus' mighty name. You can go ahead and be seated. Let me say a prayer for us. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to worship here together today. Thank you that I get to speak to my church family for the honor and the privilege that it is. I pray that you'd speak through me, help me be clear, and help us to all get something out of this, Lord. Help us speak to me at the same time. And I pray, amen. Well, my name is Ryan Shook, and I am uh, the oldest of the Shook kids, of son of Pastor Kerry and Chris. And are there any other firstborns here? We have any other firstborns? All right. Well, you, you guys are my people, all right? I, I relate to you. You guys get it. You understand. Um, most of my siblings have great abilities. A lot of them are creative. There's some musicians up here, some artists. Everybody's so talented, right? And so uh, I am the kind of tech geek of the family. We all have our gifts, and I own mine, and I, I'm proud of it. I like being the tech geek that's fine with me behind the scenes. And one of the things that I've kind of fallen into, and maybe some of you have fallen into, is I'm kind of the family tech support. So I always get a call, whether it's, hey, my phone won't start, or my computer's messing up. I'm that guy that everybody else calls, and, and I, I usually like to help. But my most perplexing client is actually uh, my dad, Pastor Kerry. It's, he always has the most challenging tech problems for me. And one of the ones he brought to me was, he said, Ryan, I'm making phone calls, and everybody sounds like they're really far away I, just like they're in a tiny can. I, I don't know why my phone, I've tried restarting it. I've tried changing the settings. I took a look at it with them. I said, dad, what, you know, it, I can't, I, we, we tried everything. We couldn't get it to work. And I said, why is your phone like a little sticky, dad? And then, and then I said, why does it kind of smell like coffee creamer? And then he said, well, oh yeah, that's right. I did a few days ago. I stuffed my phone in my pocket and then a few of those small coffee mate creamers, cause you know how I like to have my coffee on the go, stuffed them in there, a couple of them broke. And what happened was, coffee mate creamer had leaked into his phone. Um, there wasn't really a lot I could do at that point, but I did get some questionable looks at the Genius Bar at the Apple Store. They didn't quite understand, how did, how did you do this? What did you do? Now, I really do enjoy being that tech support. I like being able to use my technical abilities to help others. But sometimes my wife will get upset because I also like to have my tech with me at all times. I like to make sure my phone's fully charged. I like to make sure it's with me. It's like a security blanket. And I'm that person that's always looking for the charger. Okay, I've got to stay plugged in. Got to make sure I'm still, you know, have the power because who knows what could happen if I drop down to 80% or 50% battery, whatever it is. The other day, the other day, my wife got mad at me because what I'll do is at night or at the beginning of the day, I will unplug her phone that's almost completely drained and I'll plug mine in just to make sure I can get from 90% to 100% um, so I can feel good about it. And the other day I got frustrated her. I said, Sarah, I tried calling you over and over again and I just went straight to voicemail. What's going on? And she was frustrated at me. She said, you're the reason my phone's dead. And um, so, but the thing is, uh, the most frustrating thing to me about technology, about smartphones, is that no matter how well you take care of them, no matter how good you charge them up and take care of them, eventually their capacity runs down. They die out. Now, my father-in-law is an Android person. He may say, well, the reason is you have an iPhone. I'm not gonna argue that debate right now. But the main thing is technology, we all know that eventually they run down, they empty out. And many of us today, we feel drained. We feel stressed. We desire a life of energy, a life of purpose. We feel that's what's been promised to us in the Bible. And many of us want to make positive changes, but we feel like we're not able to make the changes and we feel like we're running on empty and we're not quite sure how to tap in to the power that we feel like is promised here. Many of us feel like we're doing the same things over and over again, but we're ending up in the same place, stuck. And if that's you today, 
If you are stuck and you're not sure how to change, well, you're not alone. In a recent study of 40 million Americans, over 40, most of us end up quitting our New Year's resolutions by the second weekend in January. The vast majority of us start off the new year with some really great intentions. But the truth is that the vast majority of us also give up within two weeks. The truth is that without God's change process, most of us are going to still be spending more money than we make. Most of us are still going to weigh more than we want to weigh. And many of us are not going to be reading the Bible, even though we really desire to read the Bible a year from now, if we don't implement some of these important key changes. And so today, I want to talk to those of us who want to change, who have the desire to change. I want to talk to those of us who may even now believe that change isn't possible. If you feel frustrated, if you feel exhausted, if you're just worn out, or even if you're ashamed that you haven't been able to make the changes that you know God's calling you to make, well then the Apostle Paul has some encouragement for you today. The Apostle Paul is the guy who wrote over half the New Testament, and he understood what it was like to try to do the right thing, but to not be able to do the right thing. He knew what it was like. This is what he says in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I wonder if any of you today can relate with Paul when he wrote that. If you're watching online, I want you to type it in the comment section. I can relate. I know that I can relate because this is the way that I operate. And you may be asking yourself, what in the world is wrong with me? I mean, I tried to change it this year and I tried to change it last year and I tried to change the year before. Why is nothing working? I made the vows, I set the goals, I got the planner. I even made a vision board for myself. I've tried everything. And what I would suggest to you today is that even though you have the right intentions to change, you actually don't have the right strategy to change. You're going about God's change process in the wrong way. And it's easy to fall into this trap. A few nights ago, I plugged my phone in before I went to bed, but when I woke up, it wouldn't start up. I, I was perplexed for about a minute until I realized tracing the cord from my phone to the wall that I didn't plug it into the wall, the power source the night before. Maybe you can relate to that. And I think that's what happens to us as Christians many times is we feel like we're doing the right things. We're going about the right process, but we're not getting the results we want and we feel drained and depleted. The secret is we have to tap into his Holy Spirit, God's transformational power. How do we access the Holy Spirit? How do we access God's change process? So, Let's figure this out together and dive into this, but will you please stand with me as we read today's key verse in honor of God's word. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. You can be seated. Thank you. Many of us here today, we feel weak. We feel the desire to change, but it's not happening for us. We want to experience God's transformational power that he promised us here in 2 Corinthians. This last summer, a few, actually a few weeks ago, I took my son Ben, who is eight, and my daughter Joanna, who is seven, to a resort in San Antonio. And there at the resort, they put out seeds every morning for the wildlife, squirrels and ducks, and they kind of come right up to you. You're not supposed to touch them. And so we were walking to breakfast, and my daughter Joanna had some important insights about staying safe 
and Ben added his two cents. Just watch. <laughs> yeah, I love my kids. And I'm not really sure what they're teaching in school these days, but at least they have a healthy respect for the wildlife. Um, I love that clip, but my kids have misconceptions often about how the world works, about how to stay safe, about what's important. But many of us as Christians have even bigger misconceptions about God's word and about what God wants for us in our lives. Sometimes we get the wrong mindset about God's change process. And what we do is we mix different sources of truth. We take half truth and we combine it with God's truth. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some of the skewed thinking that many of us have inadvertently adopted. And then we're going to try to filter our thinking and filter our view through God's word to really clarify and refine what is God's intention for change. So there are three mindsets when it comes to change. Two are wrong and one is the right way to change. So what are the first two wrong mindsets of change? Well, the first wrong mindset that many Christians find themselves in is God, then me. Many people believe that when it comes to change, that if it's going to be, it's up to me. God initiates the change. He draws us in. His Holy Spirit attracts us. His grace changes us. We're heaven bound. We have heaven in our future. We're excited about that. But then we feel kind of like God's an absentee father who says, all right, good luck, buddy. You're on your own now. Have a great time. I'll see you when you get to heaven. Or we feel like he's rooting us on from the stands, but he's not really involved in what we're doing. Many of us incorrectly believe that if it's going to be, it's up to me. And some of this even comes out when we talk to each other. I kind of hear it in my language, maybe in what you say too. See if this sounds familiar. You say, well, I'm trying to stop losing my temper with my kids. Or I'm trying to stop cussing, darn it, but you don't say darn it, right? (laughs) Or I'm trying to stop spending so much time on social media. We're always trying and we convince ourselves if it's going to be, it's up to me. We take on the responsibility and we believe that God doesn't really have a lot to do with our progress or our change. Then there's another wrong mindset, which many Christians today have adopted. And that's this, it's God, not me. Many of us believe it's God, not me. While the first one's all about our effort, this second wrong mindset is kind of the opposite. And it says, it's all about what God can do and it's not about me. It shifts all responsibility from me and what I can do to God and it puts it on him. He has to do everything and I can't really do anything. It's all God, I can't do much. For example, if it's God and not me and I don't like my job, Well, then I may say, well, I'm going to quit my job for the glory of God, and it's his job to find me a new one. And some of you have found out the hard way that that might not be the best best path to change. Or you may start to think, I want to get closer to God, but you haven't read his word in years. And you're asking, why is God so far from me? When I was in high school, I have to admit, I definitely had the God, not me mentality when it came to studying. Uh, I would pray, dear God, I know I haven't studied for this test. I barely know what it's about, but will you please, for your glory, help me get a name? I think we've, most students have done this at some point. And so I definitely had that mindset, that perspective, but it's really incorrect and it's not the right way to think about God's change process. So if the second wrong mindset is God, not me, and the first wrong mindset is God, then me, well then how should we be thinking about God's change process. How do we really experience true change promised in 2 Corinthians and experience that grace and transformation? The answer is God through me. 
The main reason that your attempts at change continue to fail over and over again is because your focus and your mindset are in the wrong place. Later in Romans chapter seven, Paul goes on to write this. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So at the beginning of chapter seven, Paul's saying, I don't wanna do what's wrong, but I do it. I do wanna do what's right, but I don't know how to do that. And he says, who will save me? Who will save me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then he says right away, thank God, the answer is not in my effort. The answer is not in my ability. It's not in my outward actions. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. What Paul tells us in effect today is this, real change is not behavior modification. Real change is spiritual transformation. This is so important. Real change is not just changing what I do on the outside. It's allowing God to change who I am on the inside. It's not just outward behavior modification. It's soul transformation. It's a spiritual changing. Look what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse nine and 10. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And when Paul says in this verse that he worked harder, he really did. He got up earlier, he stayed up later, he planned more churches, he raised up more leaders, he was persecuted, he was beat, he was shipwrecked, and he kept coming back over and over again to preach the word of God. He traveled over 10,000 miles by foot, was in jail for over five years, and planted directly at least 14 churches, and who knows how many more from other people that followed him. Yet, what he says is, I brought everything in me. I brought my full capacity, my full strength, my full ability, but then immediately he goes, yet not I. It was the grace of God that was with me. The same grace that saved Paul was the same grace that changed Paul. And what he's saying to us today is the same grace that saves you is the same grace that changes you. Real change is not God then you. Real change is not God not you. Real change is God through you. It's not behavior modification. What we're talking about is a true spiritual transformation. So at this point, you may be thinking, okay, son of a preacher, man, that's all good. I get it. I read the Bible. I understand what you're saying. You know, I've been there. But what does that look like? What does that look like in my daily life when I need to put my kids to bed at night and they're bouncing off the walls and I want to scream at them? Or when my boss is just being so stubborn and frustrating and I want to take them hostage? Not that I would ever do that. Or when you need, want to get up early and you want to read your Bible, but really what happens in the morning is you just want to sleep in and that's all you feel. Well, what does it look like to really experience change on a daily basis? And I'm glad you asked because this is so important. It's so simple, but it's so crucial. It's this. Are you ready for the secret? For spiritual transformation to take place, it has to be spiritual. For it to be spiritual transformation, it can't be empowered by your willpower. It has to be powered by God's Holy Spirit. It sounds simple and it is, but it really is the key to what we're talking about today. You may already be thinking about right now what you want to change in your life. Maybe it's a goal you have and you're starting to come up with your plan. You're coming up with your how. How am I going to do this? You're starting to formulate your why. Why am I going to do this? And so maybe your goal is you want to lose weight. And you say, well, well why do you want to lose weight? And you say, well, my cholesterol is high and I want to be healthier. Okay. And then what's your how? 
we're all gonna have our how. This is our plan to get there. Well, for me at least, it's always whatever exercise plan my friends are currently doing, whatever diet they're doing right now, whatever seems to be working, I'm gonna try to copy that. Last year it was CrossFit, this year it's pickleball, whatever it is, and I'm, I'm happy to try to copy them and emulate them. Just like all the books say, I figured out why I want something, I figured out how I'm gonna get there, just like every how-to book will tell me to do, and that's great, nothing wrong with that. But what I'm going to encourage you to do today is to come up with your spiritual why and your spiritual how. So what is a spiritual why? What does that look like? Your spiritual why is God's purpose for you. Maybe you get that notification on your phone that says you spent over 100 hours on your phone last week and you go, I really need to do less screen time. Okay, that's a good goal. Why do you want that goal? Well, because I don't wanna spend so much time staring at a screen. That's not a bad goal, but what's your spiritual why? What's your deeper reasoning that's spiritual and transcends your human understanding? Well, who is God? God is love. And what's the greatest commandment? To love others. So maybe your spiritual why is, how loving are you while you're staring at a screen? And so you say, my goal, my spiritual why is I want to be more engaged with the people around me, not just double tapping on photos of them so that I can actually spend time with them and invest in their life and invest in their spirit. That's a spiritual why. Or another example, uh, I want to get better with my money. Many of us can relate to this. We want to improve our finances. Well, why? Well, because I'm sick of being broke. That's not a bad reason either, but what's your spiritual why? Why do you really want that? Why does God want that for you? What's his purpose for you? Maybe it's this, everything that I have comes from God. And one of the best ways that I can honor him and worship him is by stewarding his resources so that to the point where I'm not just managing my own finances and taking care of my own bills, I'm actually helping those around me and showing Christ through loving them. When you add a spiritual why to your goal, it changes your heart. It changes what you want to accomplish and it changes your reasoning. Maybe it's, I want to spend more quality time with my spouse. That's a good goal. Well, why do you want that? Well, because we've been fighting a lot lately. We need to communicate better. Again, not a bad reason, but what's the spiritual why? Why do you really want that? And why does God want it for you? Well, because my spouse is my partner and my relationship with them is a reflection of God's relationship with his church. And I wanna honor my spouse, my husband or wife through words and actions. I want them to feel the love of Christ. That's a spiritual why. For spiritual transformation to take place, it's gotta be what? Spiritual. Once you've determined your spiritual why, then the important thing you have to do next is you've got to understand your spiritual how. You know why you want something and you know why God wants it for you, but how are you going to do it? In Zechariah chapter four, verse six, this is what it says. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Your spiritual why is always God's purpose for you. Your why is God's purpose for you, but your how is always going to be God's power through you, his power through you. It's not just your effort. It's not behavior modification. It's spiritual transformation. When God's spirit is working through you, you're not just on your own. You're not relying on your own willpower. You have a stronger source, a stronger power. And maybe your struggle is that you're tempted to look at things online that you know you shouldn't be looking at. And you've determined your spiritual why. It's because I wanna honor God with my eyes. I wanna honor God with my mind. I wanna have purity of heart and of spirit. But then you gotta figure out what is the how? How do I do that? And you remember in scripture and you go, in God's word, you told me, God, that, that you would always give me a way out. You told me that you'd give me the strength to run from temptation and you hold on to that as your how and his spirit enables you to find a way out in that moment. Or maybe you're in the habit of losing your temper with your kids. I can relate to this. 
And it's, but instead of blowing up, what you do is you go, no, my why is I want to leave a spiritual legacy for my children. And you go, no, 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 I'm not going to respond in my flesh and what I want to do. I'm going to respond in my spirit. And then how do you do that? And you remember God's word again, and you go back to scripture and you say, God, in your word, you told me that you were going to give me the fruits of your spirit. You'd give me your love, your joy, your faithfulness, your kindness, your self-discipline. Lord, be the self-control that I need today because I can't do it on my own. What do we know? Real change is not God, then you. Real change is not God, not you. Real change is what Paul said. I'm the least, but his grace was at work. Everything I could, I did it all. I did everything, yet it was not I. It was his grace through me. Real change is always God through you. It's not behavior modification. It's spiritual transformation. It's a change of heart. Over the past few years, the Shook family and the entire Wilderness Church family has had the honor of walking alongside Haley Oldazell and her husband Taylor and her son Weston as she has battled ovarian cancer. She's gone on a long journey, but just two weeks ago, at the age of 30, Haley passed from this life to heaven. We honored her life and celebrated it right here at Wilderness Church. Haley understood very early on that she couldn't carry on in her struggle, in her battle, without a higher power. And she defied the odds in every way by how she continually trusted Jesus for bigger and better things. From the moment of her diagnosis onward, she continued to fight harder and longer than anyone I've ever met to share the love of Jesus with those around her. She never gave up. A few months ago, before she passed, we had the honor of sitting down with Haley to talk about God's change process in her life. I want you to hear from her and see what she has to say. Yeah, we're so thankful for Haley's legacy that lives on through Taylor and her son, Weston. Haley decided very early on in her diagnosis, very early on in her journey, even before what her spiritual why was, that it was to love others like Christ. And she knew the only way to do that, the only way was Christ through her. She told us that she had good days and she had bad days, but she continually relied on Christ's power at every moment, even until the very end. None of us know how long we have on this earth, but we all have available to us the power to change through the Holy Spirit, the same power that Haley talked about. If you only change your behavior and you don't change your heart, the behavior will come back. And that's why we're not trying, we're trusting. And it's a spiritual motivation. And it's a spiritual power that Haley relied on and that we have available to us today. Real and lasting change is a reflection of God's power through you. So, If you're sick of being stuck, I've got great news for you. There's a power outside of yourself that is gonna help you to change. Why haven't you changed? There's a lot of reasons. Maybe you're still working too late at night. Maybe you're still neglecting your family. You're still procrastinating on that project you know you need to figure out. You're still spending more weekends away from church than you're actually at church. You're still holding a grudge against someone that you should have forgiven a long time ago. You're still spending your money on things that don't matter and staring at screens that don't, staring at things that aren't gonna last. Why do you keep doing that? Why are you stuck in that pattern? Well, there are a lot of sub-reasons and we could talk all about those, but there's really one primary reason. And the primary problem that we have, we all have, is a spiritual one. Why hasn't you haven't changed? It's because in most cases, 
you're trying to relieve a pain or ease a burden with something besides God's grace. You're trying to meet a real need, something deep inside you that hurts badly with something other than God's power to change you. And that's why the same apostle Paul who said, I want to do the right thing, but I don't, also said, who can help me? And then he immediately told us, thank God Jesus can. And yet on the least of these, it's not by my effort, it's God's grace on me that wasn't without effect. The same grace that saves you today is the same grace that changes you every day. My grace is all you need. Use a good diet, buy the app, get the book, have the plan. That is all fine. But realize and understand the heart of your power to change is always God's grace through you. And he tells us, my grace is all that you need. And when you don't have the power, when you don't have the energy, when you feel exhausted, like we all do at times, when you fail, then you remind yourself of what it says in our key verse, 2 Corinthians. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. It's not God and not me. It's not God and then me. It's God through me and through me and through me again. I can remember growing up as a church kid and trying so hard to work my way to God. I remember sitting over there and watching the service and feeling like I had expectations on me. I needed to be someone. And I also felt like it was my job to earn God's grace. No matter how hard I tried, I was never good enough. And I realized something later on that's true of all of us. The problem that I have is that I have a sin nature. By my own nature, I tend to do what I want and I do the wrong thing almost every time. In my own strength, I fail and I choose the selfish path. But as I walk with Christ, as I allow him to guide me along this path, he renews my mind and he destroys the strongholds of the enemy. And so that's why I renew my mind with truth and I say it again and again and again until his truth becomes my truth. And it's this, I am disciplined. Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. The reason I say this is because by nature, I'm not disciplined. I'm lazy. I eat what I want to eat. I sleep in. I don't want to do what's right for other people. I want to satisfy my selfish desire. My sin nature is not disciplined, but I declare it and renew in my mind. I am disciplined, but it's not me. It's Christ in me that's stronger than the wrong desires in me. And if you find that area in your life today where you feel like you can't change, well, then you need to stop being ashamed of it and you need to start speaking life into it. Speak truth into it. Overcome the lies of the enemy and say, God, this is an area that you can change. I'm powerless, but when I'm weak, your power is made perfect in me. And when you mess up, you remember that his grace saves you and his grace changes you and his grace forgives you and his grace strengthens you because this is not behavior modification. This is spiritual transformation because Jesus did not come to make you better. He came to rescue you and to transform you and to free you because that's who he is. That's his nature. And that's the power of the name of Christ. It's been an honor being able to speak with you today. I'm gonna go ahead and pray for us before we close out the service. Dear Lord, thank you so much that we have the opportunity to learn about your change process. I pray that you do a work in us today. We ask that your Holy Spirit would move. We all came in here today carrying burdens, stresses, habits that we can't fix on our own, Lord, and we admit that we are powerless. Right here, right now, we surrender not to our power, 
but to you, Lord, to your strength. Paul said, who can save me? Only Jesus. And Lord, we recognize that. It doesn't matter how bad we feel. It doesn't matter how far we are from you. It doesn't matter how badly we've messed up or how many times we've tried to change. It's only in the power of Christ that we can have the heart and the effort and the mind and the spirit to truly change, Lord, you inside of us. So we ask today that we would be changed, not by our works, but by your grace, Lord. Today we call on your mighty name and we ask you to change us, to transform us so that we can be a light for you in a dark world. And I pray, amen. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.